Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. It's great having you back with me again tonight. Um, but before we get into tonight's show, I want to give a shout out to our new sponsor, the Macklemore, which is a beautiful community resort and golf course up on the side of Lookout Mountain, just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Folks, you got to see this place to believe it. Go look it up online at themacklemore.com. Everything about it is beautiful. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend Kip Henley said on Twitter that outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking out the course and the resort online at themacklemore.com. And Macklemore is M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E, so themacklemore.com. All right, on to tonight, and what an amazing list of guests that I get to share with you. Leading off with our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. And for those of you who aren't aware, Tom does a great show of his own now on Instagram Live on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This past week, he had Jimmy Roberts as his guest. And this week, he's going to be joined by the CEO of V1 Sports, Brian Finnerty. So uh, be sure to check it out and tune in every week. Tonight, I'm going to turn the tables on TP and ask him some of the questions that he asked Jimmy Roberts. So looking forward to turning the tables on TP when he joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from former PGA Tour pro David Ogren. David won the 1996 Texas Open by one stroke over Jay Haas and two over Tiger Woods. David now owns his own golf school just outside of San Antonio, Texas. So I want to spend time getting some tips from him, first of all, about playing in windy conditions. You know, in Texas, they're going to be dealing with a lot of wind. So let's learn from an expert. Plus, uh, I also want to talk to him a little bit about his playing career, you know, his his best finish in a U.S. Open was in 1983 at Oakmont. So I want to get his memories of that, plus what it was like putting those Oakmont greens, right? So legendary about how fast they are. So really looking forward to having David back on the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following him, I'll get a return visit from PGA Master Professional John Hughes. John's golf school is located down in Orlando, Florida at Falcons Fire, which is a Reese Jones designed golf course. Oh, by the way, and that, that becomes important in just a minute. Uh, I'll get some tips from John about how to hit, you know, sort of those half shots, right? Those three quarter to half sandwich shots when we're 75 to 30 yards out. Also want to get some putting tips and what John calls his two second to consistent putting tip. So we're going to learn how to deal with that. Plus how to deal with the bad breaks that we get out on the course, right? What's worse than hitting a great drive only to find the ball resting in an unfilled divot. So that sort of plays on our mental game. And then how do we hit that shot? So I'll talk to John about that. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. And then, like I said a moment ago, speaking of Reese Jones, we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from him. And you remember last week, Bill Bergen joined me, and he and Reese Jones co-designed the Macklemore. So I want to get Reese's thoughts on the course and his thought process that goes into laying out a course like that that's uh, kind of carved into the side of a mountain. 
when he was working with Bill Bergen on the design, how did they design, you know, which were going to be the holes that would challenge us and which would be the holes that we would have an opportunity to score well and and really ultimately walk away loving the golf course and looking forward to coming back and playing it again. So we'll talk about all that and a lot more when Reese joins me at the top of the next hour. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I always like to start off the show by reminding you about the great golf shows that both Mitch and Matthew Lawrence have. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can stream online at GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. He and his co-host Darren Bunch are going to take you around the U.S. and Canada to talk to you about some of the great places that you can go stay and play, plus some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. Go online and check out their podcast at GolfTripX.com. Matthew's show is fantastic. It is called Backspin Golf, and it's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. You can stream the show live by going online to WLXG.com or downloading the WLXG app. Features our good friend Perry French in the very first segment every week, so you know that show gets kicked off with a lot of great tips and content. And Matthew is a wonderful host, and he's got a lot of other great guests. You're going to really love it. Check it out online again at WLXG.com or downloading the WLXG app. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and the TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls, played by Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Jason Day. And it's the hottest tour ball in golf. You know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X. And now both the TP5 and TP5X are available in high visible yellow, and I love the yellow ball. Now it's your turn to make the switch. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. You can visit him and improve your game at Esplanade Golf and Country Club in Naples, Florida. He's a road warrior now. He's going to be coming all over the country, so you need to stay up to date with where you can find TP. You can visit him at his new indoor facility when he's down in Naples, which looks absolutely fantastic. You can also download the V1 video app and send him videos of your golf swing through there. Or send him a question via his website, TomPatry.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter while you're on his site. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. He was a two-time first-team All-American at Florida Southern, and he won the Division II National Championship back in 1981. He was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2004. And like I mentioned a moment ago, he's got his own show now on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Instagram Live with some really fantastic guests. And it's always a privilege to have him back as part of the show. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chrissy, boy! Always love to hear that voice. What's up, big guy? All right, my friend. I'm fine. I know you're you're out on the road now. You're going to be hither and yon. So update us with what's going on with you, TP. Well, before uh, before I get roasted by you tonight, which I'm sure you, you get something up your sleeve as usual, I just want everybody to know, I want to ask, ask you a question. How, how long have we been doing the show together now? Oh, geez. Uh, I guess about three years, three, four years. Okay. And, and how many times have I invited you to Naples, Florida in three years? Conservative. Oh, I can't, uh, I can't count that high. Okay. So, folks, I, for all the listeners out there, I want them to know that I left Naples, Florida early yesterday morning. I drove from Naples, Florida. I, I'm now in Carmel, Indiana. So I'm going to be teaching this week at Prairie View. I'm, I'm here once a once a week, one week a month, excuse me, 
June, July, August. Driving up 75, I called my friend Chris Mascaro because I knew I was going to be heading right through Atlanta and said, Chris, let's get together. I'll pull over, have a little dinner or something like that. And Chris goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of locked down because of COVID. My wife, my wife won't let me really, really do it. I can't, I can't, I can't go. I was like, what? I was like, what? What? I said, dude, I've been locked in my house for, for about a year now. I am safe. No, no, no. I can't, I can't, I don't think I can, you know, you know. I drove right by you can't the trust guy. Tom Patrick. And, 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 and by the way, he said, just wave at me as you go by. Wave off at 75. Just kind of wave at me as you go by. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Anyway, I'm in Carmel, Indiana. I, I, I touched down today. I uh, checked out my new digs at Prairie View. Uh, met the staff there. Wonderful people. Nice teaching facility. So I started at uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And that kicks off the Tom Patrick Summer Tour. So now you've got to tell yeah, our, yeah, yeah, our yeah. listeners yeah. where 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 you're going to be. you got all kinds of – you're going to be hither and yon. You're going to be Indiana, Pittsburgh, uh, Saratoga, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. New York. Yeah. I mean, where are you going to be and how can they stay up to date with where that is? Well, my my my, my make-believe schedule is posted on my website on my homepage. Because, as you know, I'm going from uh, Indiana this week, 10 through 17. I'm going to Pittsburgh to work with a college player, one of my college players for two days. And then I'm just going a couple of miles away. And I spent two days at Oakmont with Bob Ford, play a little golf at Oakmont. And then I am supposed to go to New York to do a couple of guest schools before I go to Saratoga. But right now, with this COVID situation, a lot of clubs can't have guests on property. And I'm kind of on a whole, in a holding pattern, which is beyond bizarre because, you know, we've never gone through any of this before. You know, I'm the guy who always has a schedule planned out six months in advance, know exactly where I'm going to be. And right now, really, Chris, truthfully, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre. Everything's kind of on hold because some clubs you can go to and teach, some clubs you can't go to and teach. Uh, and then the Saratoga schools, which is really interesting, people are usually knocking the door down for that thing because it's so fun up there, but they're really scared to travel and, and book hotels right now, so everybody's like, yeah, we're going to be there, but nobody's really sent the deposit check in yet, you know, so everybody's <laughs> kind of playing cat and mouse, cat and mouse. I feel like Dean Smith in the four-corner offense here at the end of the game, um, so <laughs> it, it, it's, it's all to be determined, and then out of nowhere, uh, I, I told you about earlier today um i just got uh, a wonderful piece of news uh, uh there's a thing out there for those of you who don't know out there listening there's a thing called the dormy network which is composed of six really wonderful clubs around the country and they just asked me to be a dormy club ambassador which basically means i can bring groups uh to any one of their six clubs around the country and and teach and stay uh they've got wonderful accommodations great great each club has an unbelievable chef, food and beverage, and the club I'll spend the most time at, I think, this summer as a test run, is called Hidden Creek, which is just outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey. It's a core Crenshaw course. So I think if I get blocked in any of these schools in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to fly. I'm going to zoom down to New Jersey. Uh, I've been to Hidden Creek before. I played the office. It's a really good core Crenshaw. And uh, just get down there and get the feel for the, for the land and what they've done there. They built a cottage on property. Uh, a, a t- nice teaching building. I'm uh, just going to go down there and test the waters a little bit and, uh, and meet the staff. So that's a new addition to TP's locations around the world. <laughs> well, the, the best news out of all of that is it's not just me that's afraid of Tom Patrick and the, and the COVID and the, and the <laughs> lockdown. See, I'm not alone. I feel better now. <laughs> right, correct. You're absolutely correct. 
Tom, and also, like I mentioned in your intro, you're you're doing your own show now on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock uh, p.m. Eastern Time on Instagram Live. You had Jimmy Roberts, a fantastic interview this past week, and you've got a, a, a long list of wonderful guests. Talk about your show. Yeah, it's, it's kind of because it came out of nowhere, cause it, really, because of COVID. I mean, I was, I was looking for things to do. I was so bored. And, and Instagram allows you to do this live platform. So I said, well, you know, I saw some other guys doing it. So I said, why can't I do this? And I started going through my database. And uh, as you know, I mean, it's, it, you know, when I started looking at my database, I said, man, there's, there's some great people in here. You know, so I, I've had Damon Hack on from the Golf Channel. I had Melissa McNamara, who's the head women's coach at Auburn. Uh, I had Jimmy Roberts from NBC Sports this past week. I got Brian Finney from V1, who's the president and CEO of V1, uh, which is going to be a really good discussion about technology and video platforms this coming week. Buddy Alexander, who's a retired University of Florida men's coach, a uh, uh, U.S. amateur champion and former Walker Cup player the following week. And, and we got a lot of people kind of in the wings for the future that are, you know, either tour players, teachers, uh, administrators in the world of golf, uh, you know, people who run different tours around the world. Um, you know, as, as far as professional tours and, and, uh, and, and players. So it should be, it's really kind of, kind of falling in my lap and it's been fun. Uh, Jimmy was, as you said, Jimmy was on this past week. He's an old friend. I, I actually go back to my Westchester days in the middle nineties with him. And, uh, you know, you, you know how hard Chris is to get guests to, to confirm a time and a date, you know, to do these things. I, I'm realizing how hard your job really is, but, uh, all those guys are friends, and, and the, you know, they're all saying, yeah, we'll do it. Oh, it's on a Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Well, that's not really no good thing. Can we do it another time? No, we have to be consistent with the time. So I'm starting to learn the Christmas Carol challenges of doing a show, um, <laughs> but, but I'm having fun with it. I'm having a lot of fun with it, and we've got, we got some great people lined up that have committed already going forward. So uh, we're going to do it every Thursday night at 8 o'clock, um, come hell or high water, and uh, there's some really neat people that are – they're hanging in the wings in the future that have really uh, pulled your socks off. So I'm really excited about it. Tell the story about uh, how you and Jimmy Roberts met. So Jimmy, um, Jimmy, for people who don't know, really cut his teeth at ESPN behind the camera. He was a director producer behind the camera and behind the camera at ESPN, he won, he won 11 Emmy awards. So, I mean, he had a really talented and storied career behind the camera. And then, Decided he want to get in front of the camera and give it a try, and we, we all know what's happened. He's done he's done great. He's won a few more Emmys now in front of the camera. But during my Westchester years, um, he had to do a stand-up piece for the Masters, and he needed a golf background. And I, as everybody know, if you don't know, ESPN is, is based in Bristol, Connecticut. Jimmy was living in New York City at the time, and he just needed a background. He called Westchester and asked if he'd come out and just use, you know, a green area as a background to do the stand-up piece for the upcoming Masters, and at the time, Westchester had a um, very uh, politically sensitive uh, issue going on at the club, and every time somebody somebody, somebody from the press called, they were always worried about who was coming and what, what were they doing and were they taking pictures and who were they trying to interview and what were they trying to do with it. So they had this policy, if anybody from the press wanted to come on, they had to know what the topic was, and if the topic was okay and they approved it, a staff member had to be with the person to make sure they were in fact doing what they said they were doing. So Jimmy called the club to do the stand-up piece, and and uh, my director of golf, John Kennedy, said, "There's a guy coming up from ESPN. Uh, he's going to be here for about an hour. We'll just spend some time with him." I said, "Sure." And Jimmy came up to do the stand-up piece, and and I was his chaperone, if you will. And we and we kind of hit it off talking golf, and he was he was a 
relatively new player at the time, and and we started talking. He wound up coming, wound up coming out and taking some golf lessons after that. And uh, a few years later, he said to me, "You know, Tom, uh, you know, Sandy and I, his wife, Sandy actually, his wife was Katie Kirk's producer at the Today Show, as a matter of fact. So she's actually uh, a pretty well thought of person in the industry as well. We're going to move to Rye. You know, how, how do I make application to join Westchester?" So I actually put him in touch with the club president and our, and our golf chairman at the time. And uh, about a year and a half later, he was a member at the club. So we, we've been friends a long time. So through the course of the conversation, did you learn anything about Jimmy that you didn't already know? Yeah, I was, I was a little, I, it's funny, after we hung up from you know, Instagram Live went off, I, I called him to thank him. And, and I, 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 I love giving him crap about because he, Jimmy, Jimmy professes to know everything about everything about sports. You know, he, he knows more than you and I put together. Uh, just ask, just ask him. He'll tell you. Um, and I caught him off guard on that Len Bias question. If you remember the Len, Jimmy went to University yeah. of Maryland, and, and I threw a date at him, and the date happened to be the date that Len Bias died. You know, of, of the cocaine overdose. And I threw this date at him, and I, and I kind of stumped him, and I, I gave, him, I gave him a lot of crap about that on the phone afterwards. I said, Man, <laughs> you, you, you're, you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the King Turpin, and you didn't know, you don't have that date memorized, are you kidding me? Uh, we laughed <laughs> about that. But, uh, um, no, I, you know, most of those things, um, I, I've done a couple of live um, club events with Jimmy where I've been a moderator and kind of get questions for him. So I kind of knew where I, what, I wanted, what I wanted to draw out of him. Uh, he's got so much experience. Uh, I, I wish he had talked more about the Howard Cosell years because he's got some great Cosell stories. Um, uh, and he and he didn't go he didn't go as much into it. Usually he bites on that one pretty good. Uh, you know he worked with Howard. It kind of was Howard's gopher for almost two years, the beginning of his career. Uh, and, and think about you know for the older folks out there, we're dating ourselves a little bit, but you know, Howard Cosell obviously is a sports icon, and, and Jimmy cut his teeth with Howard, and uh, um, he's got some great Cosell stories. And he didn't really he didn't really go into it too much. So I was a little disappointed in that. Um, but no, you can't you can't stump you can't stump Jimmy too much. It's pretty hard. Hi, TP. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit because I want to I want to spend uh, time talking about you uh, for the next few minutes. And one of the things that that's you probably, recently posted, <laughs> well, we'll be the judge of that. Um, you recently posted on social media that you'd love to spend some time with Lee Trevino. Why? Yeah. You know, I, I've always um, I've always been enamored with Trevino. I'll tell you a funny story, Chris. I it's not so funny actually. It's actually kind of pissed me off really. I reached out to Trevino about two or three years ago uh, and introduced myself via via an email, explaining you know who I was and what I do for a living. And, and I really uh, would love if he could, you know carve out some time. I'd like to fly to Dallas and, and just sit with him for a couple hours and pick his brain. And I got a very very um, I guess nasty, maybe, maybe nasty is an exaggeration, but a not so nice reply from his manager, not even from him, saying uh, thanks but no thanks, um, which really kind of was disappointing. But he's just a guy that I've always marveled at. I mean, self-made, you know, dug it out of the dirt himself. You know, you know, poor, poor as poor can be. Uh, you know, it's just a great American story. I mean, here's a guy who grew up in a, in a dirt, a dirt poor house. You know, uh, with not a penny to his name, went into the Marines, served the country, came out, and 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 he's working on a drive range, picking up golf balls, and the next thing you know, he wins the U.S. Open. I mean, and and then you know, 
we all know what happened after that. I mean, he just, you know, one of the great, one of the great players of the game ever. Uh, great ball striker, self-made, you know, didn't do anything really bad. Drove it straight, drove it, you know, sneaky long, actually. People don't realize sneaky long, great iron player, unbelievable wedge player, incredible wedge player, and, and part of the ball beautifully. Really had no weaknesses. Uh, so just a marvelous story. And you gotta have, gotta have a wealth of, wealth of information. And the stuff you see on social media and the stuff you see on YouTube with him is all kind of ha-ha can stuff. You know, he's always a comedian, but I'd really love to sit down and have a serious golf conversation with him because he's got to have an incredible, incredible bevy of knowledge uh, just, just locked away in there. And it, it's, it's got to be priceless, absolutely priceless. So along those same lines, TP, did you ever interview, talk with, give a lesson to somebody that you know you were really excited about spending some time with and they ended up walking away from the experience thinking i'm never want to talk to them again i'm gonna give you the out you don't have to mention a name but did yeah, it, that I'm, happen I'm, I'm not gonna mention i'm, I'm not gonna mention the name but i'll tell you a story there's a there's a a certain credit card company that's very famous and i got to uh, teach um the present ceo of the company uh, of this of this global company, and and the guy was uh, you know very well known, especially in the New York area, as a as a really great, energetic, genius type guy, and and I was really excited about meeting him, and just thought this guy's got to be just a brilliant mind, and and spend some time with him, and he was the most boring human being I've ever met in my life, possibly. It was just absolutely <laughs> like like, huh, really, um, you know. Ivy school educated, you know, I'm giving you a lot of clues here, but um, it was just like, I walked away thinking, this guy runs, he does what? He runs what company? How, how is that How is that possible? You know, I mean, it's just not possible. But uh, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's amazing, you know, the, the persona some of these people carry, whether they're athletes or, or business icons, uh, Chris, and, and, and then you meet them in person, you're thinking, wow, that was just, that was horrific. That was really, uh, really boring, <laughs> to say the least. And yeah, so we've all had those experiences, you know. Uh, on on the on the player side, um, and I'm so happy to report it's different now. But my first my first two experiences during the Buick with Tiger were were not pretty at all. Um, when the camera was on, he was a superstar. When the camera was off, he was not very nice at all, not very pleasant to say the least. And that's I'm putting it. I'm really being very nice about that. Very, very, it was nasty, just downright nasty, for no reason at all. And uh, I had a recent experience about a year and a half, two almost two years ago now at Bay Hill. Um, Joey Cobb, who caddies from now, is a good friend of mine, and Denise's, and uh, we we went up spending a little bit of time, about 20, 30 minutes with Tiger and Joey at Bay Hill, and he couldn't have been, he could not have been any nicer. Any more engaging, any more pleasant. Rem- remembered that we'd done a couple of clinics together in the 90s at Westchester. Actually, remember them. I was kind of like, wow, yeah, of course you remember you. You busted my balls unmercifully. Um, <laughs> and and when and when he walked away, I turned to Joey and I said, that's like not even the same human being. And I said, to Joey, what what do you think? What do you think the difference is? And Joey, not hesitating, because Joey's very good at this, said, he has kids, Tom. They changed. Them. Kids changed, uh, which I thought was really interesting. And Joey's a 
wow. if anybody knows that knows Joey Okava knows that Joey Okava is one of the great husbands and fathers on the planet. And I and I'm a father and, and I and I know what you know, I I know what my son means to me. But Joey was convinced that the kids actually changed Tiger for the extreme better, which I was so happy to see and uh, a good ending to a bad story. That is a good ending to a bad story, so that's great. Um, along those same lines, sports heroes that you had growing up, you know, at, at, at ones you've had an opportunity to, to maybe meet, some that were good, some that were not so good. Well, I'll tell you the worst one ever, and it's, it's an easy one, and you're going you're gonna to think I'm setting you up, and I'm not. This is a true story. So I'm at Westchester one day, and very rarely when I was at Westchester was, was I in the golf shop because I was usually out on the range teaching. But this one day, I happened to be in the shop, and the door opened, and in walked um, Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens, and Chili Davis. Okay? Mm. And, and, of course, everybody in the shop stops. They're playing golf at Westchester with a member, and the members had them out to play golf. I didn't even know they were on the property at the time. They come in. And the member says to him, very graciously, guys, I enjoyed the time with you. Now, of course, the members picked up the whole tab for the day. And he says to him, why don't you guys each pick out a shirt? And, and you know, it's on me. I'd like you to have a Westchester shirt. Pick one out from the shop. And, and Andy Pettit kind of feels embarrassed by it, you can tell. And he's not comfortable with it. And the member kind of insists. And, and they, they, they all pick out a shirt. And I look over. And Roger Clemens walks up to the counter with five shirts. Five. Wow. So Pettit's got a shirt, Pettit's got a shirt, Tilly Davis got a shirt, and Clemens has got five shirts. And he goes, I'll take these five. And, and the member, member kind of looks around, and now everybody's like, they don't know what to do. The kid, my kid working behind the counter is like, uh, blah, 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 blah. and the member goes, that's fine, put it on my tab. And he takes five shirts. And now I realize wow. when I look out at the door of the shop, there's about five or six little kids outside the door, and they're waiting, you know, they got, baseballs and hats and, and scorecards, you know, because they're going to try to get an autograph. So the guys just played golf uh, at a great club. They've had lunch. They, they just, they just raided the pro shop. Okay. And now they're walking out and Clemens and, and, and Chili Davis walks out first. He signs for the kids and the members still talking to Clemens and, and Andy Petter walks out and he signs a couple things. And Clemens walks out the door and he, and he's kids are like, you know, between eight and 12 and he pushes him aside and he goes, I don't sign. And he walked past. Wow. I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, you, you SOB, man, really? And they kind of, and they, and they leave. And these kids are devastated. Because listen, out of those three guys at this time, the guy they really wanted was Clemens. Let's face it. Andy was great. Chili was a utility player. They wanted Clemens. So about 10 minutes go by, and I'm kind of sitting the kids down by the punting room talking to them, trying to calm them down. So they're, all, they're all upset. And with this, this guy taps me on the shoulder. I turn around. It's Chili Davis. And I stand up. He goes, uh, hey, pro, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. He goes, listen, because I, I want to apologize for Roger. I said, Chili, I said, you didn't do anything wrong. I said, you know, he goes, you know, can I sit with these kids for a while and talk to them? I said, sure. He sat with them for an hour and talked. Wow. To them. And I was like, you know, once a Red Sox, always a Red Sox. That's all I got. Oh, oh, oh so you I, had to go I, there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. just, I hooked you. I kind of reeled it in a little That's wrong. That's wrong. He was good when he was with the Red Sox. He went to the Yankees. And you see what happened yeah, to him? 
he was a saint. He was a real saint. He's a nice man. What a jerk. <laughs> what a jerk. No, but really, Chris, I mean, yeah. can, you, can, you imagine, can you imagine picking up five shirts and putting them on a counter? Can you imagine no. that? No. Oh, my That's God. That's ridiculous. I, I was like, oh, oh, my God. I can't believe this guy just did this. Yeah. Yeah. True story. I, I, I saw it myself. I saw the whole thing. It was unbelievable. That's ridiculous. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with the comings and the goings and the road warrior that now is Tom Patrick. Well, first of all, if anybody's out there, they can email me at tpatrickandmindscreen.com. I might need a place to sleep somewhere in the eastern United States this whole summer. So if you have an extra bedroom, <laughs> let, me, let, let me know. I'm going to be all over the place. <laughs> um, so here, here's what I know. Indiana. Carmel, Indiana, Prayer View, one week a month, June, July, August, September. The dates are on my website. In theory, Saratoga, New York, one week a month for golf schools, TT Golf Schools, uh, uh, July, August, September. Those dates are on my website. I'm doing a, a couple of guest schools that are already booked. Whether they happen or not, I don't know. Uh, and they're all over the country. And then I have a new product called Take the, uh, Let the Doctor Make a House Call, where you can you can email me, and I can come to you at your facility anywhere you want as long as you've got the approval of your host club and work with you at the facility of your choice. Uh, and then I'm going to circle back to Naples one week a month and teach in my home studio. Uh, and thanks to that plug, Chris. I appreciate that. It really did turn out great. It's been wonderful. Um, so I could be just about anywhere, Chris. And obviously the website is TomPatry.com, and then LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, and then the Instagram live show is Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. And Chris Mascaro is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. He always has great guests on and he's the greatest guy in the airwaves. And we're so happy to be part of his show. Uh, I appreciate you very much, TP. And as you're, if you end up driving back down to, uh, to Naples and you're driving oh, back to Atlanta, if you, if you, if you promise to boil yourself, if you promise to boil yourself before you get no to Atlanta, makeup. Maybe we can do that. No makeup calls. No makeup calls. No makeup calls. No. Hey, hey, Chris, give John Hughes my best, will you please? Uh, I absolutely will do that. And, 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 and Mr. Jones as well. I will do. Absolutely. TP, take care, my Kyle, friend. Be safe. We'll catch up soon. You're the best, Kyle. Love being on with you. Thanks, Chris. Ah, thank you. You are too. See you, TP. That's a great Tom Patrick. And again, folks, Instagram Live, Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Tom is a, a wonderful host and a, and a great interviewer you know, in his own right. So don't let him sell you short. He's fantastic. And so is the show. So be sure to check that out as well. And I look forward to catching up with Tom again here in the next couple of weeks. All right, before I get to my next guest, David Ogren, I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world. And that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make, you know, to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And the craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You're only going to find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company or Ben Hogan Golf Equipment at, online at BenHoganGolf.com and visit them online to learn about their great products and their great prices. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. 
All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is former PGA Tour Pro David Ogren. Let me remind you about David's background. He's from Waukegan, Illinois, which is about 35 miles north of Chicago. Played his college golf at Texas A&M, where he was a four-year letterman. He won the individual title at the 1976 All-American JUCO Freshman Tournament and the 1979 Harvey Penick Intercollegiate Tournament. And he was named an All-American in 1978 and 79. Graduated with his degree in economics, played on the PGA Tour from 1983 to 2000, played on the Champions Tour for a couple of seasons in 08 and 09. He won the 1996 Texas Open by defeating Jay Haas by one stroke and Tiger Woods by two. He also won a couple of times out on the South American Tour. Over the course of his PGA Tour career, he had 32 top 10 finishes and 86 top 25. After playing on tour, he's been the director of instruction at some courses around the states of Texas and Wyoming. He was also the director of instruction at the Top Golf there in San Antonio. Now runs his own golf school, the David Ogren Golf Academy in New Braunfels, uh, Texas, just outside of San Antonio. And I'm thrilled he is back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, David, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. I was just dying with some of Tom's stories about celebrities and such, because we all have stories like that. So, okay, now that begs the question. You got to share yours now. Well, Roger Clements and I were to do a, a, um, a junior clinic for the first tee of San Antonio. Roger is a pretty good friend with uh, Billy Andrade. And so we're down there, and uh, we do an impromptu pitching contest. And the deal was, could Roger hit the target with a pitch, and could I hit it with a pitching wedge? And we had a fun time. And so my Roger Clemens experience isn't that bad. And, uh, you know, he <laughs> might have caught Tiger on some bad stuff. Of course, I've only seen Tiger um, within the confines of a golf course and within the safety of the ropes in the locker room. So Tiger Woods always been really cool to me and uh, i actually hold tiger in high regard so so you don't have to go the same route right with the same people what are, what are some of the other celebrities you had an opportunity to to be around or athletes that you had an opportunity to play alongside some of the good and some of the bad well uh, a couple of years ago um alice cooper was in town in san antonio and he was, needed a place to play and he needed a partner to play with. So I was working for the Alamo City Golf Trail, and my boss says, hey, can you go down to Brackenridge Park and play with Alice Cooper? And so I go down and play um, with Alice Cooper, and we're, gonna, we're trying to get nine holes in, and a very rare, real thunderstorm hit uh, San Antonio, so we had to cut it short at about five or six holes. But I learned some really cool stuff. For example, Alice is 72 years old, I think. He's been clean and sober for like 30 years. He's been married to the same wife the whole time, and he and his wow. band, when they rehearse, they rehearse for nine hours. Oh, my. Yes. Okay. And so I learned a lot from Alice Cooper about preparation and practice and how um, um, doing, well, he, he was in a 12-step, and, and, and taking those kind of things could really change your life. He was really cool. Uh, and, of course, I played at AT&T Pebble Beach um, with the likes of Willie McCovey, Willie Mays. Uh, I played with Daryl and Monica. Had a blast with Daryl and Monica. He, he, he was a lot of fun. 
Um, and then I uh, grew up a Cubs fan. I got to play golf uh, a few times with Ernie Banks, and Mr. Cub was uh, was a genuine person, well, one of my favorite athletes. So I've I've had a very lucky life in, as far as that. And I can't remember any real jerk um, That's uh, great. that have come across my, my, my path. So I'm lucky like that. Yeah, no kidding. David, well, uh, maybe it's talk. The, it's I know the uh, Texas thing. <laughs> so, anyway. Is that right? I don't know. David, as we were communicating before the show, I know you had a you had a busy day. Talk about what you're doing right now, and then the junior camps and the other things you've got going on. Yeah, you know we we've been living through a crazy time, Chris, and uh, I am a um, a franchiser participant, whatever it is, of the PGA Junior Golf Camp Program. And it's it's got the the brand name of the PGA of America on it, and it's run by Mark Haydad and, and a couple other people. And, uh, you know, coming out of the, the COVID-19 thing here in Texas, we're out a little bit earlier and a little bit freer than some of the other parts of the country. So we didn't know what was going on. And this is week one this week. We had five kids this week. Next week, we're going to have like 14 kids in camp, which is actually capacity plus two. Fortunately, I got the space to space them out and do all that stuff. And it's been very hot down here. So uh, by the time noon gets here and we're done with the the camp, um, I'm pretty wasted. And then today I I got another four lessons I got to give. And uh, just one right after another. And it's really a blast to see sort of my my hard work and trying to be a good coach finally come to fruition. It's, it's kind of fun. And David, you, you sort of mentioned you know, everything that's going on in the COVID-19 and all that sort of thing. I wanted to get your opinion. As a guy who played out on tour for about 25 years, if you think about the PGA Tour and the, the time on the Champions Tour, and with, with anything going on with COVID-19, whether it's playing in a tournament and everybody else that's involved in a tournament, even if there were no fans, you still got volunteers and tournament officials and all the caddies and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, once we get to a place where we start to let fans come back and, and be a part of the game as well, would any of that and anything that's been going on, would they give you pause? Would you be nervous about any of that? Me personally, if I was, uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty good friends with Jimmy Walker and Jimmy has been faithfully and very quietly quarantining himself here uh, in Texas. And, he got his little test kit and, you know, had the thing jammed up his nose and got his negative so he can go up to the Colonial and play. Um, would anything bother me? No, I would have no pause whatsoever, to be honest with you. Um, especially this far along, I honestly thought at this point in this crisis that we would have been a lot worse shape than we are. I know New York got hit, um, and I know some other places got hit really hard. And I can't, I don't have the explanation for why, but I just think uh, it just, it ended up not being as brutal as I, as I honestly thought it was going to be eight weeks ago. For the folks down in Texas, you mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I kept looking for spikes here in San Antonio. I mean, um, you know, we, we, we had the, the stay at home thing and, we did that, and then we kind of let the, the screws out a little bit. Memorial Day weekend, it was almost business as usual around Texas. Well, that's two weeks ago. 
I posted this one time. I try to stay out of this crap on, on the, on the, on the uh, social media. But I said, if you're going to see this, you're going to see it now. Here it is 16 days later after Memorial Day, and there's just no appreciable spike in and around San Antonio. And um, it's kind of surprising, kind of pleasing. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's not real, but uh, kind of fizzled here. And it's, uh, and I don't know, it's not going to come back. I don't know any of that. It's just that the, where you are gives you a whole different perspective on everything we've gone through the last three months. David, I want to get your thoughts on something else that we've seen here recently. And that's in the, in the two, whatever you want to call them, you know, the, the match that we had uh, last week. And then the, you know, the four guys out playing essentially in the skins game prior to that. We've, we've got to see players in short. That's something I've been asking for the last few weeks to get an opinion on. Um, if you were playing out on tour, like the shorts, don't like the shorts. Oh, gosh. Now, now I'm going to sound like a get-off-my-lawn guy. Uh, I would rather <laughs> see the guys stick to slacks. Thank you. Yeah. You're, uh, I mean, you like the, um, the professionals in the slacks? Well, yeah, I do. Now, uh, well, there is a reason why the entire time Dean Beeman was the commissioner, there was no shorts allowed. There was a real reason Dean was adamantly opposed to it. And it's really a weird story because every year they'd have the uh, tournament directors down to Ponte Vedra and they'd play a scramble stuff. And so Dean's playing with this dude and he's in his short and he reaches over to pick the ball out of the hole and the, and, the, and he could see the jewel. And Dean was Ooh. just, yeah, Dean was it's just afraid that somebody's going to show up in shorts and they're going to go down and get the ball. And, you know, they're going to get a clear shot at something. And it's like, uh, I remember Dean telling me the story and it was like, he, he, he didn't even think it was funny. I thought it was funny. And, uh, <laughs> there was a real reason why Dean was so opposed. And of course he trained Tim Fincham, um, and yeah. Tim kind of kept that along and now we'll see what Jay does. All right. Good reason. I understand. David, I was looking out on your Twitter page, and folks, you can follow David on Twitter at D Ogren. And, and you posted a quote from Jack Nicholas that says, ask yourself how many shots you would have saved if you always developed a strategy before you hit, always played within your capabilities, never lost your temper, and you never got down on yourself. Talk about why you put that out there. Well, that's primarily for the couple, three dozen really good college, high school, a couple mini tour players that I coach. And the common misperception of a tour player is that we're robots, that we hit the exact same shot every time. It always goes where we want. And therefore, um, you know, we always keep our cool. Well, I have played with everybody. I mean, literally, I played everybody from Sam Snead to Anthony Kim at one point. And everybody hits a foul ball. It's how you handle your foul ball that really make a difference in how you how well you end up playing. It's really easy to play golf when you drive it down the fairway and hit it next to the hole. It's hard to shoot a golf score when you're in the rough, in the trees, putting from 35 feet, having to chip a, a whole bunch of times. And so I got to watch Jack Nicklaus up close and personal a few times. And I, I, I borrowed the quote from somebody else, so I'm assuming the quote is accurate. So I'm making a big assumption. 
but that's exactly how Jack played. I remember watching Jack play the Houston Open. I mean, why would Jack play the Houston Open? I don't know. But I went around when I was in college and watched him play at the Woodlands. And he never really hit a really good shot for nine holes. The drives were okay, and the irons were kind of okay. And he had a bunker shot, and he got it out about eight feet or something. And I looked up on the, on the scoreboard, and he shot 33. And I'm going, how did he wow. do that? Right? And then when yeah. I thought about it, he went through his procedure. He made his plan. He hit his shot. He hit it pin high. Um, he never made a mistake tactically. He made a couple of um, mistakes with the shot, and he just kept his cool and kept going. And then I got to be thinking about what I saw in Jack and what I saw in guys like Tom Kite, Ben Crenshaw, Lee Trevino, and uh, some of the other guys that I grew up just being a little bit younger than. And they all had that. It didn't matter where the ball went. They kept their cool, and they started planning the next shot. And then we have a nickname for Tiger, uh, the great Pat McGowan, who's down there at Pine Needles. Uh, we were watching uh, watching Tiger play a tournament together on TV one day, and Tiger hits it over in the trees and knocks it on the green and makes another birdie. And Pat McGowan goes, that's another Tiger lost ball birdie. And <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that's the way him and Phil Mickelson play a little bit. DJ, a little bit. Brooks, Brooks and DJ a little bit straighter than those two guys. And that's the way they play. I mean, if you hit it crooked, you hit it crooked. You go find it, play it again. Don't get bent out of shape. A couple of things in what you just said, David. You you played with Sam Snead. You played with Anthony Kim. Talk about playing with Sam Snead. I mean, I, I don't know that there was a better looking, more consistent golf swing ever than what we saw from Sam Snead from the time he was a kid until he was in his 90s hitting hitting shots to open the Masters. I mean, talk about what you saw from him. Um, you know, I didn't. I, I saw him a little bit in his prime as a kid because my dad took me to a tournament in Chicago, and then I got to play with him in a like a little event, um, a charity event thing. And he was he was pretty old. He was about seventy, and the swing was all there, and he hit the ball right in the button, and uh, it was good. You know, I I know he's a great player. I know he's got a great record. <clears throat> I'm not a Sam Snead swing fan, per se. Why? I uh, I think it's okay. I don't, you know, that the famous Sam Snead squat, everybody makes a, a big deal, the Sam Snead squat. And I see maybe three players uh, other than Sam Snead do it. And uh, so it's like, you know, uh, I... It's not a strong opinion, but it's not the same opinion most other people have. I, 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 Sam had a great golf swing. He's a great golfer. Uh, he was um, interesting to be at the table with. But uh, you know, as a golfer, golf swing. I saw him when he was seventy, so I, I actually didn't see the the specialness of. Him. What about AK? There's a guy that. Uh... Looked like he was going to set the golf world on fire and then disappeared. What, well, my what, what do you think happened Anthony, to AK? Well, my story with Anthony Kim was is I was an alternate for the Texas Open. Um, I was probably 52 at the time, so that's like 10 years ago. Yeah, about 10 years ago. And Steve Lowry withdraws, so I get in the term with Anthony Kim. And Anthony's there, 
And uh, we struck up a conversation because he's already hurt. He already tore the ligaments in his thumb. He'd already done that damage. And um, he was fighting it bad. And he actually had a physical therapist with him in between holes, walking from green to tea, the physical therapist would work with the thumb. So I knew he was, uh, I knew he was in, in, in some sort of trouble. And then, of course, they had the, the great Ryder Cup thing happen. And then a couple of years after that, I knew he had uh, done his major medical. And I saw him at a, a conference, and I asked him what's going on. He says, play the way I need to play. And so he had to make one of those awful, great decisions that you have to make. Because his policy was going to pay him about 10 mil if he didn't play anymore. And so he's got this choice. Go out and play and struggle with a thumb that's unpredictable or take the 10 mil. And he took the 10 mil. And it's my understanding, he plays casual golf and does, plays fine. Wow. Yeah, he was yeah, uh, such a great story. And I think, yeah, I think, you know, everyone sort of wondered whatever happened to Anthony Kim. And, boy, what a, right. what a wonderful golfer he was for a time. And he might, you know, who knows, right, what might have been. But. Uh, you, you can see the, the 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 decision, right? Walk away with ten million. Well, yeah, is that the right thing to do. Yeah, Maybe yeah, it is because the thirty six. Yeah, thirty six holes I played with Anthony. I mean, every shot was a struggle with his thumb. I mean, this thing yeah. must must have been really blown out. You know, another guy that had a similar injury in my era was Steve Jones. Steve never really recovered from his hand injury either. So, uh, and I don't know what Steve did with his um, um, disability policy. Um, I don't think he did the same thing that Anthony did, but, um, you know, Anthony, the disability policy, policy we can get on tour is really cheap because the number of people that actually end up using it is very small. Anthony just happens to be the one I know of. <laughs> David, one more before I let you go. And you mentioned a, a minute ago what a big Cubs fan you are. So I got to get your thoughts on the baseball season. We going to have Major League Baseball this year or no? You know, with each passing day, it's more unlikely. And it's, and I was listening to MLB on the XM radio, and uh, they had the general managers on, and the general managers, uh, Dan Duquette and uh, those guys, and they frankly said the owners are not in any particular rush here. It's not going to hurt the owners anymore to start over in 2021. So I don't think the owners are in a rush. Um, you know, they just failed on getting their last deal put in place. Do I think there's going to be baseball? I think every passing day, it's more and more that there's not. And that's kind of sad, especially because I would love to see the Cubs with the DH rule. That puts Kyle Schwarber out the plate, keeps him out of left field. <laughs> that's right. David, you're a wonderful instructor. Now, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing. Maybe if they're in the San Antonio area, get a lesson from you and follow you on social media. Well, yeah, David Ogren, golfacademy.com is the website. Social media, you mentioned my Twitter. I'm on the Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on um, uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. Instagram. I don't, I don't do very yep. much on LinkedIn, right? In and around New Braunfels, Texas. Between San Antonio and Austin, just remember your listeners, if they come and say, I heard you on Chris's show, you practice with Pro V1 because I've got oh. a secret stash of Pro V1 for special guests. 
There you go. All right. See? We'll have to make sure we put that out there. You're the best, David. Thank you very much for saying that. You know, I uh, when I put this thing together, my idea was I want to give the people that come to my range as close to an experience of practicing as they give me when I go to a TPC course. There you go. When I go to a TPC That's course, awesome. even as a retired guy, they roll out the red carpet, I get the Pro V1s, I go to the grass. That's what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> That's awesome. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I, wanna, I hope I get the opportunity to get you back on again real soon. Well, just uh, you know, give us a few months to recycle the bad stories, and I'll be back. <laughs> Indeed. David, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe. We look forward to catching up again soon. You too. See you, David. That's a great David Ogren, and you got to give him a follow. You know, at D Ogren on uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, does a lot of really great stuff. He's a he's a, a heck of a player and a, and a wonderful teacher now. And, a, and a, as you heard, a lot of fun. Looking forward to catching up with David again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, John Hughes, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can find them online at positivevibesgolf.com and follow them on Twitter at pvibesgolf. Their head covers and putter covers are a very unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts. And they're a great on-course training aid as well because they help you stay positive by putting positive, happy images in your mind. Every time you walk back to your golf bag and you look at your head covers, you're going to smile. See why I say that by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is PGA Master Professional John Hughes. John earned his business degree at Appalachian State. He has been teaching the game now for almost 30 years. He's worked with everyone from beginners all the way up to tour pros. He won the Northern Florida PGA Sections Teacher of the Year Award in 2009. And in 2013, he won the Horton Smith Award for his dedication to education for all golfers. He's been the president of the Northern Florida PGA Section for the last two and a half years. He's also coached the Celebration High School Ladies Golf Team down in Orlando. You can find John at Falcons Fire Golf Club, which is a Reese Jones design course. And I've got Reese coming up here in the next segment of the show. And on top of everything else about John, he is highly recommended by our good friend Charlie Fisher at Golf Pride. And if Charlie tells you you got to talk to this guy, you got to talk to this guy. And I'm very excited that John is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, how you doing, my friend? Good, Chris. Very well. I appreciate Tom's kudos. I was listening in. I, I got to tell you, the first time I was on, I didn't know what to expect. and I came across somewhat formal, and I'm just happy you invited me back because this is not a formal show at all. <laughs> no, it is not. Not in the least. So, <laughs> you know, relax yourself. Have a good time. That's what we're trying to be all about. So I appreciate the fact that you did come back. So, John, you're down there in Orlando. How are things? Are, are things starting to get back to normal down there? What's it like? Uh, somewhat back to normal. I, I think when you're talking about Florida, Governor DeSantis has, has, in my opinion, done a really good job understanding that tourism is our bread and butter. It's what keeps the state running. And he was put in some very precarious positions. Fortunately, he he deemed golf essential so it allowed the facilities to stay open with some really restrictive measures and it cost central florida where i am the latter half of our season uh both instructionally play 
food and beverage, pro shop, you name it. But I, I think we're going to come out better for it. Starting to get back to normal. We're in phase two officially. So restaurants are at 50%. Uh, we're from a tournament standpoint of view, you can have a few more people out, but shotguns are still prohibitive. Uh, there's some other things. Uh, I think all in all, we, we escaped some of the, the worst of COVID-19, but at the same time, we were very affected by it. I think it's a wake-up call for everybody to just start understanding, hey, uh, live with some common sense, and these things shouldn't affect us as badly. John, like I said, you're down there in Falcon's Fire, which is a, a Reese Jones design course, and Reese is going to be joining me in the next segment. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on the course and uh, the place that you've got your school. Well, I'm real lucky to be at Falcon's Fire. I've been there six years now, and it it can be a course that can play very simple for the beginner. It can be a really good challenge for the better player. Uh, I've actually had a chance to sit down with Mr. Jones at the past two PGA Championships. Last year at Bethpage, I spent close to a couple hours with him while he was waiting to get on uh, satellite radio. And talked about a lot of things, not only Falcon Fire, but just golf course architecture in general. It was it was a privilege to sit with him. Actually played one of his redesigns today, Country Club of Winterhaven, and had a good round out there. It, it's a very interesting golf course, Falcon Fire, in that there's not a lot of elevation change, but what little bit of elevation change out there, Mr. Jones took really good advantage of uh number eight or one of our signature holes is a great example when you're on the tee box you just don't realize you're about 15 feet lower uh than than the green and that's unusual for for florida and taking that extra club and or factoring in the wind if you're downwind or into the wind a lot of people score high on that hole simply because they can't see the elevation change it's subtle but it's there, and he's done a wonderful job taking a piece of property and and really making it a challenge for even the better player. Well, I'm sure Reese Jones will enjoy hearing hearing the uh, the praise on on the course. I'm sure it's fantastic. So I look forward to hopefully sometime getting an opportunity to come down there and play Falcons Fire. John, you are um, welcome anytime. You teach- you teach a, a variety of, of players at all different levels. And I was curious to get your thought. Is it, is it easier or more challenging to teach somebody who's at or near the pro level than it is somebody that might be, you know, a 10 or 12, 15 handicap like me that comes out there and needs a, and needs a little bit of work? Is it, is it harder to teach the pro because a little tweak here and there may be all they need, but that might be something that's hard to, uh, to incorporate after you've been ingrained in your swing for so long? Uh, that's a great question. And the, the typical answer I give to that is everybody has their own special needs regardless of skill level. Is it any harder or easier for me based on their skill level? I don't really look at it as such because I'm, I'm trying to have everybody play to their potential. A, a tour player, yeah, they're going to make small tweaks. I was talking to someone today about how small a, a ball position change could be. Maybe a quarter of an inch or less sometimes can really make the difference in a tour player's ball strike. Whereas the 
on the same level, say a 10 to 15 handicap, a half inch can make that same difference. It's, it's really about getting each person to play to their potential. Uh, the real challenge, quite honestly, and this is where it gets a little bit more precarious, is having someone understand their potential. The tour player does, and they're very demanding upon themselves and the team that they surround themselves with, whereas the 10 to 15 handicapper, they can't see themselves. They, they don't, even in a video, they really don't see themselves. So it's, it's a challenge to get them to understand where they can be and, and for them to believe in themselves to get them there, uh, whereas the tour player, they know they're there. Uh, it may be more tedious work with them, but it's not necessarily more tedious than the 10 to 15 handicap or have them understand what they're capable of doing. John, I want to get some playing lessons from you. And you've got a wonderful YouTube channel full of some really great videos. And I can't recommend those enough. Folks go out there and, and subscribe to John's YouTube channel. Um, before we get into some of those videos, I want to talk about one, one situation in particular that, um, it's not only a difficult shot, but I, I think it plays on us on, and the mental side as well. And that's after we've hit a really good drive and we get out to our ball and we see it sitting in an unfilled divot. Now we're mad because we hit a great drive and we have this shot we have to play. So we got to get our mind right first and then how the heck to pull off that shot. So wh what's your recommendation? How do we, how do we deal with all of that? Well, the first thing you got to do is curse the person who didn't fill the divot. That, that's the first <laughs> thing you got to do. It sounds sort of trivial, and I'm going to laugh too, but that starts the mindset. That that literally starts the reset of the mind. It's like, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. Why, what, why do I deserve it? And for the, the 10 to 15 or the 20 handicapper, it's a difficult shot, but I'm here to tell you it's just as difficult for the tour player because they're trying to be much more exacting for, for the higher handicapper. Hey, let's just get it out and somewhere near where we want to be so we're not losing any more strokes. Based on the depth of the divot is how depth of the divot. Wow, tongue tied here, uh, is what you're going to be really assessing. If it's super deep, it, it's going to be very difficult to be as precise as you want. And it's going to require ball position middle it doesn't necessarily need to be for any back of middle the real key here is to make sure you're striking the ball most people are going to want to scoop this thing out uh, very similar to how you may want to scoop out a bunker shot the real key here is make a bigger divot in front of the golf ball and that's what people forget is you're trying to strike the golf ball first you're, you're not trying to pick it up out of a hole and if you set up with the ball a little bit more middle of stance and make your normal swing, maybe take an extra club, but try to make that divot in front of the golf ball. You're going to make the divot you're in that much longer, but you're going to guarantee you strike the ball. Taking the extra club, that's just margin of error. Let's make sure we get it to the, to the target we're getting, we want it to. And then last but not least, fill the divot. Fill the divot. And hopefully you're <laughs> using right. two scoops of sand versus one. John, one of the areas that I struggle with and with my swing is I tend to sway my left hip sort of, you know, out instead of around. And 
And you have a wonderful drill that you call the beer barrel drill that uh, that could help me with that and certainly could help our listeners that, that struggle with the same thing. Talk about what that drill is. That's real simple. Either you're too drunk to stay in the barrel or you're just too rigid and it won't fall over. It's one of the two, but it's real simple. If you can imagine yourself in a beer barrel and all you're trying to do is rotate within it without tilting it over, what that's going to do is is sure up your ankles. Your your ankle stability is real key. It, it provides some stability to your knees. Most people are going to tilt this beer barrel over either with their forward knee, the right hand or the left knee, the left hand or the right knee, or they're going to take that front hip, hip and bump it too far. There is a bump mechanism in your swing, but you don't need it to bump totally outside of where you're setting up. If you bump it too hard, the barrel falls over. So you can take alignment sticks, put them in the ground, either angled from behind you forward or or right next to you if they're a little bit shorter in length, and just try to make the turn. The way I try to get people to do it first is without a golf club. Can you just rotate within that beer barrel as is and maintain your balance? That's the way the body learns. And then start adding things to it incrementally. Add the golf club, add a bigger swing. Have the golf ball be the last thing you add. Because what you're really trying to do is create that body movement that creates the rotation. In turn, releases the golf club for you. When you can eliminate the sway, you're going to eliminate a lot of inconsistencies in your ball striking. John, a couple more before I let you go. And let's talk a little bit about short game. When we're faced sure. with that sort of in-between sandwich shot, let's say we're somewhere between 30 and 70 yards from the green, and now we've got to have that distance control with a sand wedge that it's a shorter swing, it's a little more feel, a little more touch. How can we figure out how to hit that shot successfully? Well, that's no person's land. You're, you shouldn't be there anyway. I think the first thing most people forget about is you never practice those shots. So why are you putting yourself into those positions to begin with? If it's a layup on a par five and or you're going for a par five and two and you leave yourself that shot, that's a poor decision to begin with with that second shot. Make sure you're avoiding it. When you're in it, most of the time, it's probably beside the green on a four or three. And it's going to require some finesse. and Having an understanding of what just one swing can be, and what I mean by that, whether it's a half swing, a two-thirds swing, uh, I learned early on from one of my mentors, Jimmy Hamilton in Raleigh, North Carolina, can you put it in a, into a percentage? Can you go 30% or 60%, but really stick with that one swing? And let's find out how far a particular wedge goes. So let's say your 56-degree sand wedge with a 60% swing will travel in the air, carry distance. Let's say it goes 55 yards. Well, now you have that 55-yard shot. What most people try to do there that are not going out to practice, they're not highly skilled, is they want to take that same wedge and change their swing. Why would you want to do that? I, I equate that to having a ratchet and a socket. The ratchet works the same. You just change the socket based on the size of the bolt head or the nut you're trying to tighten or loosen. 
Take another golf club. You should have that 60 in your bag. What does it do when you swing 60%? It should be the shorter shot. And likewise, if you're looking for something longer than 55, you're in that 6570. If you have another wedge just beyond your sand wedge without, with that same 60% swing, it'll go the little bit extra distance. I think the more you simplify this and not necessarily try to change things that you're not practicing to change makes golf simpler for you. It's, it's when you're trying to manipulate all these different variables that you're not routinely practicing. That's where most amateurs get in trouble. Find the one simple swing you can make, label it the way you want to label it, find out how far these wedges go, carry distance. That's the key, carry distance. It's get, those shots become easier. But I would also recommend you stay out of those situations. That That's when it really becomes easier. John, one more. And you recently added a putting drill to your YouTube channel titled Two Seconds to Consistent Putting. That's certainly something that I'm trying to develop. Talk about uh, what that tip is. That is, that's real simple, Chris. It, when people talk about two seconds, you know, there's a three-second violation in basketball. There's, there's all sorts of other stuff. What it basically means in basketball is you're standing in that lane too long. What I see in it with golfers, especially uh, people that don't practice a lot, is they get very anxious. And as they're striking the ball, they're looking for the ball way ahead of the actual strike. And this opens up your front shoulder. When you open up that front shoulder, who knows what's going to happen. Are you going to close a club? Are you going to leave it open? Are you going to shove it? Are you going to pull it? To be more consistent, can you imagine? a coin, a ball marker, anything that's right there underneath the ball. And once you stroke it, can you see that? Can you still, can your eyes remain there and see that? This keeps the front shoulder in the putting stroke that much longer. It helps square the club a little bit, actually creates a little bit better roll. What it really does, it keeps you solid over the putt longer. Just that two seconds longer makes a difference. Because what you don't realize, if you're anxious and you're moving as you're putting, guess where that moving's begun? It's begun long before the putter's ever struck the ball. And that's the real key. It's, it's not about what's happening after the putt. It's what's happening before the ball is struck with the putter. Keeping those, keeping those eyes focused on the mark underneath a coin, uh, anything that's underneath that ball, and being able to see that mark counting the two, one, two, and now you can look up. You can jump for, I, I tell people, you can do a jig if you want, but let's just keep your eyes focused on that one spot of the ball. Two seconds after impact, you're going to be very surprised how much consistent your lines are, your distance control is. It, it works. It's, it's all about being patient and not being so anxious. John, before I let you go, remind our listeners about your great website, your YouTube channel, and how they can follow you on social media. Sure. I'm johnhughesgolf.com is the website, and the YouTube channel is John Hughes Golf. Social media, I got really lucky. Uh, the director, who was sort of in seclusion until he passed away, never took John Hughes Golf at Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram. That's 
where people can find me there. And again, Chris, thanks for inviting me back a second time. Hopefully not as stiff as the first time. I'm looking forward to hearing more <laughs> from Mr. Jones. He's a, he is a, he's a legend. He, he's an American treasure. If you ask me, with all the different things he's been able to provide us as golfers throughout the years will be a really good conversation. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with that statement more. John, I hope this is two of many times you're a part of the show. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming back again. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Sounds great, Chris. Enjoy your evening. Stay safe, my friend. I'll catch up with you again soon, John. Take care. That's the great John Hughes. And, uh, folks, um, he's as good and as decorated an instructor as you're going to find. So I, I encourage you to follow him. I can't tell you how good his YouTube channel is with all the great tips that he's got out there. He, he's a lot of fun and a great man. And I look forward to having him back on the show again soon. All right. Now back with me here on Next on the T is Reese Jones. Let me remind you about Reese's background. He's from Montclair, New Jersey, and comes from undoubtedly the most talented golf course design family ever. His father is legendary golf course designer Robert Trent Jones, and both Reese and his brother Robert Trent Jones Jr. have done outstanding new course designs plus course renovation projects all over the world. Reese graduated from Yale and did his graduate studies at Harvard. In 1974, Reese founded his own design firm, Reese Jones, Inc. Reese has designed or redesigned over 225 golf courses, including remodeling seven U.S. Open sites, eight PGA Championship courses, five Ryder Cup courses, two Walker Cup venues, and one President's Cup site as well. Locally, he redesigned East Lake Golf Club, the site of the Tour Championship, and Bobby Jones' home course. You can also see his work at great courses like Torrey Pines, Cog Hill, Oakland Hills, Pinehurst Number no. 7, and our newest partner, the Macklemore, which he co-designed with our good friend Bill Bergen. And here are just a few of the awards and the things that Reese has been recognized for. He won the 2013 Donald Ross Award from the American Society of Golf Course Architects. He was inducted into the New Jersey Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame in 2012 and the Northern California Golf Association Hall of Fame in 2015. He was Golf World Magazine's 1995 Golf Architect of the Year. And given the Golf Course Superintendent Association of America's old Tom Morris Award in 2004. And I'm deeply honored he is back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Reese, thanks for coming back on the show. Great to be with you, Chris. Always a pleasure. Reese, I want to spend the majority of our time tonight talking about the Macklemore. They're a new sponsor here on the show. And I wanted to start off by getting your initial thoughts. When you first saw the property, what did you think of it and what did you think you were going to be able to build there? Well, um, Macklemore is really a, a wonderful site. It's uh, on top of Lookout Mountain. It's, it's truly all a, a mountain golf course, but it's on the top of the mountain. It's, it's got great bones. It's got a great piece of uh, land, and it has very type golf holes. So it's it's a type of golf course that really is like Cypress Point or Maidstone or Danzante Bay, where you really have a different flavor uh, as you go through the round, unlike different flavor from course to course, uh, they have the canyon holes, the cliff holes, and the highland holes, and you can really tell you're in a different environment every time you play uh, that golf course. When you were putting it together, when you and Bill were working together, what kind of what, did you have in mind? Like a kind of experience that you wanted to be able to provide to to golfers of you know whether it's you know a a younger player, a junior player someone that's a sort of a mid to high handicapper and then for the accomplished golfers, 
What did you want us to walk away with? Well, um, Dwayne Horton really basically told us that we he wanted a golf course that would be pleasurable to play for every caliber player. And I think Bill Berg and I worked together on the Country Club of Winter Haven prior to this project. And uh, we were basically on the same page. And he's just one heck of an architect. So um, I think the two of us working together and bantering things back and forth. You see, golf course architecture, whether you're working with another architect or whether you're working with just your associate, like Steve Weiser is my associate on that project, uh, it's a combination of efforts. And um, I think what we achieved, because Bill was a tour player, so he he really actually knows how the championship player plays. But we designed uh, Macklemore really for the everyday player, but it will challenge the championship player because we've got some really great holes on that site. And Reese, some of the the majesty of that golf course are, are the views that you get. And it's not just the, the, the magnificent 18th hole. It's, it's throughout the golf course. Talk about, you know, some of the views and, and putting that course together and how often the, the sort of the, the vistas come into play throughout the round. Well, you start out right off the bat at the first green. You're looking over the, uh, the whole valley. Uh, so you know you're in a special place. And then the second hole, if uh, we didn't have the 18th hole, might be, might be one of the great holes in the south. Um, it's a, it's a hole that plays downhill across a creek to a green that's protected by two bunkers. Um, and then it just continues. And, uh, the sixth hole is a, uh, very rugged par five that drops pretty abruptly on the second shot. Um, and then your 12th hole is another wonderful par five, which is really one of your, um, you know, your island holes. And then the 18th hole, uh, the views there. And thank goodness it's the finishing hole because you really you have a, if you have if you want to have a great golf course you have to have a great finishing hole and that's what we have at Macklemore. And to that end, I was talking to Kip Henley and he's going to be coming back on the show in a few weeks. And and Kip uh, actually put out on Twitter not that long ago that the 18th hole there at the Macklemore is the second best finishing hole that he's ever seen outside of uh, the 18th at Pebble Beach. Talk about that 18th hole and where it ranks for you. Well, it ranks right up there at the top because um, I think Dwayne Horton let us have that land. Um, it's a spectacular piece of property. It's, a, it's an abrupt drop uh, from the top of the mountain down to the valley. And um, you can experience uh, kind of exhilaration uh, when you're on that hole. And it's an unbelievable climax to a round of golf on a on a very great golf experience. And it really is the culmination of the whole experience. And it's not an easy hole either. I mean, you got to play down uh, to a, a spot on the fairway. It's not extremely uh, – you can hit to the right side and play off the hill. That's probably the best thing for me to do because you certainly want to avoid the whole left side because otherwise your ball is gone. Uh, but then the shot into the green, it's not a long hole. It's 430 yards from the back. The shot in the green is a little uphill, and um, you basically want to favor the right side again. So you have to play with caution. Uh, but that's the hole where you're trying to win your match or protect your score. So again, you have to play that aggressively. So it's just a wonderful finish for a great, a great round of golf. Reese, were there any unforeseen challenges that you ran into? You know, again, you're trying to build a golf course here on the side of a mountain, lots of rock and that sort of thing. Was there anything that you guys came across as it started to come together and started to lay out the holes that you're like, oh my goodness, how are we going to figure out how to deal with this? 
Well, in, in mountain sites uh, all across the, the country, if you have a mountain site, you don't always have 18 good holes. You might have a couple of forced holes. The one great thing about Macklemore is that uh, because we spaced the holes and we went to the good land on every part of the site, uh, we basically have 18 very, very good holes that fit the land. And that's quite unusual in a mountain golf course. You usually have to have a few holes that are straight uphill or very difficult to conceive. But I think that was a great difficulty for Bill and myself just to really utilize the land to its best advantage. And uh, because Wayne let us wander around the site, I think that's what we accomplished. Were there any holes that you laid out originally and as you guys started to get into construction, you thought, you know what, wait a minute, let's do this instead. Was there any redesign or kind of change in what you originally thought that you ended up making a change that made it that much better? Well, no, I, I think um, the holes themselves, um, we adjusted them, uh, like we widened the 12th hole, uh, we widened the 6th hole, um, we, we, we made minor adjustments here just to make the holes fairer and better and more playable. Uh, I think Dwayne gave us the budget to uh, accomplish a lot of the things uh, that we wanted to. I think having the opportunity to build the 18th hole and do the grading that was necessary. Um, and I think not only that, but when you play in a car and you're driving around that site with the streams, the, the terrain, the rock, uh, the views, um, uh, you're, you're in a real golf experience. And um, I can understand why people would want to have a summer home there because uh, the temperature is so much cooler on top of that mountain than it is uh, in much of the part of the south during the summertime. So uh, I think we optimized the uh, the land. And uh, But to answer your question, Bill and I would make a lot of changes as far as bunker location, bunker size, green contours, green angles. That's the changes we made on the site, not really necessarily uh, the holes themselves, except for the 18th. When it was all said and done and you guys were ready to, to open it up and you got to walk the sort of the, the finished product, if you will, for the first time, what, what, what was it like? Did it, did it, did it meet what you thought it was going to be? Did it exceed your expectations? Did you have a moment to look at it and go, wow, this place is amazing? Well, um, Ron Witten, who's the golf digest editor, um, golf course architecture editor uh, told uh, wrote once that I got some of the best sites in golf and uh, I think Dwayne Horton gave us one of the best sites in golf so uh, we knew the experience would be phenomenal we knew that the players uh, would be pretty overwhelmed by the experience uh, but then Bill and I both had to listen to all the players as they played it and I mean uh, it was it was a really fun experience for us because um, every caliber player came back and um, were really pleased with the round. They couldn't wait to get back and play the next day. So uh, I think we accomplished the goal to create a golf experience that uh, you want to play on a continual basis. And I think uh, we got a lot of input and feedback from uh, the players that played it the first couple of days. And uh, that was pretty gratifying because um, it was a rugged site with a lot of rock. And I think. Um, just it's just such a magical place. It's just a couple more before I let you go. And and last week Bill talked about uh, the course's tagline, "Life above the clouds." And he said at times he would look out and the birds would actually be flying flying below him. And that that, that 
an amazing thing to think about is looking out to think that you're higher than uh, than what the birds are flying. Did you have an opportunity to to see anything like that or the clouds rolling in and be above the clouds? Did you get any, any sort of experience along those lines? Well, um, I could tell you the temperature uh, would rise, but uh, and it is really the clouds could descend on you, but I, I was never there when that actually happened. And uh, I was kind of looking at the golf holes to keep my uh, ball in play. I wasn't looking for a bird. I was trying to get a birdie every once in a while, though. <laughs> Reese, um, my last guest, John Hughes, has his golf score out at Falcons Fire down in Orlando, another one of your designs. Talk about that golf course. Well, that was a, a golf course I built like 20-some-odd years ago, and um, I think we really almost had a, a eye for the future, just like uh, Maxillemore, it's over 7,000 yards, but length is not the factor. It's uh, the finesse. It's the second shot golf course. And I think that's what we designed at Falcon Fire. Um, there's a lot of water on that site because some of the ponds were built uh, uh, for previous construction of other projects. Um, and we kind of weaved our way around the site and really made that a second shot finesse golf course so that every caliber player could play. And I think that's why they have so many rounds a year, just because everybody can accomplish their goal on Falcons Fire, much like they can do at McLemore. Henry, so you talk about length, and I think that's that's the thing now, right? I mean, the golf ball flies so far. When we're looking at tour players, we're we're not odd, or we're not. It's not unusual anymore to see those guys drive at three ninety, four hundred, four ten, you know, things along those lines. So uh, length can't. Can you know? We, there's only so much room to put golf courses. There's only so much length that you can add to them. Is is the future? Or what you're looking at now a way to make it a little more difficult in those landing areas? That you know, if, if it's going to be a championship golf course, that maybe there's a little more trouble. Maybe the, the fairways are a little more narrow once you start to get out into that 310, 320, 330 area to make it um, a decision for those guys to not necessarily always bombing off the tee. Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily length. Uh, the, the equipment has changed so much. The metal head has changed. The golf ball doesn't move as much. It doesn't curve. Uh, the, there's no bulge on the driver face anymore. So um, it's it's a shame that that's happened because uh, the ball used to go offline more in, in the past. Now, however, since they hit it so far, if they do hit it slightly offline, they're going to find themselves in trouble. Uh, wing foot for this year's Open will have narrow fairways and uh, pretty substantial rough, uh, probably, you know, 22-yard wide fairways, 24-wide fairways. We just did Torrey Pines over for next year's U.S. Open, and that's our fairway width, and it's got a peculiar rough. So I think the USJ is going back to uh, making sure that the players have to keep it in the fairway in order to have the spin on the ball to hit the shots they like. It's not going to be a drive and gouge championship at Wingfoot or Torrey Pines. And, uh, and I think that actually the trees, come into play. Uh, so it's it's not going to be like Chambers Bay or Aaron Hills where you could really just hit away at will. So I think that's what's going to happen in championship golf. John Bodenhammer is now setting him up, and he's really going back to the old setup. So I think we're going to throttle the courses down as far as length is concerned. And length is actually overemphasized because we'll build a golf course at 7,700 yards long like Torrey Pines, but then they'll play it at 7,300 yards. It gives them the flexibility to change each hole in a given day. 
they never play the entire length, but that's never really expressed uh, through the media. They talk about the entire length, and they don't necessarily talk about the length for the day. Reese, before I let you go, what are some of the projects you're working on now? Well, um, we're doing Briars Creek in Charleston over, which is owned by the McNair family, Bob McNair, uh, who used to own the Houston Texans and uh, just passed away. And we're doing Seabrook Island over. We're doing Coral Ridge in Florida, Shadowwood in Florida over. We just, uh, we're working at uh, Columbine in Denver. Uh, we're working at Victory Ranch. Um, and doing a lot of projects in the Northeast. We're building a new hotel golf course in the Catskills, building another one in Puerto Rico. Um, actually, even during this pandemic, we've got 13 projects under construction. So I think there is a positive vibe right now about golf because it's an outdoor sport. People are just dying to get outside and do something, and it's a safe uh, distancing sport today. And I think it's really a resurgence for the game of golf. And I think that's why golf really has a very positive future in the, uh, right now. And I think the fact that we're doing so many projects, even in this terrible time, uh, really indicates that people are really look, looking forward. So I'm pleased about that. Reese, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the projects and, and follow what you're doing, uh, whether it's online or it's on social media? Well, um, I'm not on social media, uh, but, uh, you know, www.reesejones.com, I guess, is the best way. But uh, I guess maybe someday I'll get on social media. <laughs> well, Reese, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show and, and share the stories uh, behind the Macklemore. It's a, it's a beautiful golf course, and I'm thrilled to have them as a partner on the show and hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you again soon. Well, I really enjoyed listening to John Hughes before my uh, part in this program. And um, I've always used that penny under the ball, make sure I can see the penny before I look, look up. And boy, does that help. Um, and so I'm looking for maybe we'll go down to Falcon Fire if, if John won't charge me too much for a lesson. I'd love, love to get one. <laughs> I'm sure he can work that out for you. Okay. Well, thanks Reese, for having take me. Take care. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe. Okay. Great, Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Reese. That's a great Reese Jones, folks. Um, you want to talk about one of the legendary golf course designers from a legendary family. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, Reese's job, uh, the, the job that Reese and uh, Bill Bergen did at the McLemore is outstanding. You heard John Hughes talk about how beautiful Falcon's fire is and how lucky he feels to be able to be uh, going out on that golf course every week. And, and 13, was it that, uh, that Reese has got going on right now? Amazing stuff. And, uh, he's, you know, when you look at the U.S. Open, and uh, who's working on those golf courses? And, you know, the, the open doctor, I think, is actually one of the uh, nicknames that has been given to Reese because he comes in and does a great job in making sure those golf courses are set up perfectly. Um, great man. A lot of fun. And I look forward to catching up with uh, Reese again, hopefully real soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again go out to Tom Patrick. David Ogren, John Hughes, and Reese Jones for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to keep up to date with what uh, my guest schedule looks like. You can also stream this show on a number of great podcasting sites and, and our, our great friends over at podcast.co, and that's .co, not com, podcast.co. They've been a, a huge help and support uh, for this show 
as have the people over on Podbean, but you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, and Player.fm as well. Folks, as always, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you are continuing to make Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.